the show my name is brian with me as always is chris we are recording this as the american league wild card game is going on the rays currently lead the athletics four to one um but before we get to the playoffs we have to talk a little bit about the last weekend of the season for the mets you know this is one of the few years i did not get to one of the final weekend games that's something i try and do but just due to a couple of family things i just couldn't make it happen this weekend and Man, fuck me. I wish I could have been at one of the games this weekend, especially uh, Friday or Saturday or, or Sunday. Actually, any of them. Any of them would have been super fun to be at. Did you get to go to <laughs> any of them or no? No, I hear you on that. Um, my last game was Thursday night, mm-hmm. which was the Zach Wheeler show until Zach until Wheeler gave up two home runs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so they won five. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. They, yeah, math. They won five out of their last six games. And I was at the only loss of those. So <laughs> these things happen. Um, but yeah, it would have been awesome to be out there. I mean, I kind of had gotten to a point where I was still paying attention because of Alonzo uh, in particular. But with them having been mathematic, math, ugh, mathematically, I had a harder time with the word than the math (laughs) eliminated. It was kind of like, okay, uh, Thursday night, that sounds good. If, if they had still been alive, even if it was an extremely long shot on Friday night, I probably would have gotten out there. And uh, obviously if they were still alive on Sunday, I would have gone, even though I've done that so many times and it has not ended well once. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, so it goes. Uh, the loss didn't sing so much since they were officially out of it. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I guess the, the sort of the three big things we got to talk about in terms of what's going on for the Mets right now is, number one, the Pete Alonso situation. So uh, was it Friday night that he tied the record? Uh, yeah, it was, right? I, I think so. So he didn't do it when you were there. No, he did not. Okay, uh, then, then it was Friday night. He tied the, the rookie all-time rookie record of 52, held by Aaron Judge. And on Saturday night, he hit a ball about as far as you see anybody hit it to dead center at City Field for his 53rd home run of the year. There are two aspects of this that I want to talk about, Chris. The first one is... Have you seen the backlash, specifically from Yankee fans, about Pete getting emotional on the field after he broke the record? Uh, a little bit, thanks to some of our Amazing Avenue folks uh, getting into it with them on Twitter, and I respect <laughs> that. But yeah, that that was the extent that I saw. Uh, so yeah, what's that about? Like, yeah, first of all, there there are, there are two things at play here. Okay, number one. He did something that no one in baseball history has ever done before. Just pause yeah. and think about that for a second. The game's over 100 years old. We have seen amazing feats. No one has ever done this before. 
Think about the thing that you're passionate about, listener, and imagine if you did something in that field that was so good that people had never done it in the history of your field. Wouldn't you be happy about that? You would think. You would think so. And, you know, happiness, you know, sometimes leads to tears. And that's fine. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Yeah, and I don't don't think Judge is an emotionless guy either. Uh, Right, yeah. You know, maybe not the extent that Pete Alonso is, but it's not like he goes out there and just, you know, plays, plays baseball and hits a home run a million feet and doesn't smile right right and then let's let's just add another layer on top of this now maybe he was so emotional because the fans were being so good to him in that moment i mean you and i have been to a lot of mets games a lot of Mets games have you ever seen a crowd embrace a rookie like this hmm not not that i can recall i'm trying to think back how soon after Harvey came up was the full-on Harvey Love? It was the next season, right? It was right? the next season, yes. He he had a good second half of that first year, but it was the next the next spring where everything really started to click for him and the love really started. Yeah. Yeah, so... It, one thing that makes it so rare is the fact that the Mets put a prospect who was highly regarded on the roster on opening day and... To the extent that somebody like Brody Van Wagenen can control things, uh, depending on budget and all that other stuff that we'll talk about all winter, <laughs> it's ultimately I would think he was responsible for leading the charge on on that. So that's rare, and it was it was a little odd that Alonzo didn't get that cup of coffee last year. But if he had gotten it and it only went okay, or if he surpassed his rookie eligibility, then that would have changed things for this year. Uh, so it just kind of it was perfect timing and the perfect player for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think the the reason why he got that really high level of uh, of praise was that he's been genuine. He's come off as genuine, and and I think he's actually been genuine from day one. Uh, In the fall, he expressed some disappointment that he hadn't gotten any chance at the major league level. But in the spring, he was nothing but fully appreciative. And and he he just has this thing in his personality that he, he seems like he's really blown away. Uh, And it's the perfect level of, like, I hope nobody ever crushes that part of Pete Alonso. Agreed. Because he he knows how to enjoy the game. Yeah, yeah. What, was, what I was going to say was that, you know, part of what makes the rookie being this embraced by the crowd special is, like you said, you know, the Mets don't bring up a lot of prospects for the whole season. But on top of that... It just seems to me like from day one, once he came to the major league roster, he just clicked with the crowd. He just he just had a special relationship with the fans, and you know the LFGM thing happened. And you know on Saturday night, 
they were just going fucking apeshit for him. I mean, every time he came up the last few weeks, the crowd was doing that. But Saturday night was insane. And the crowd just wouldn't stop, you know, every time. He, for the rest of the weekend, anytime he took the field, he came up the, the plate, people were just going crazy for him. And maybe the reason he was emotional was because he was just so thankful for the fan base embracing him in that way. And you know what? That's a fine reason to cry, too. I don't know why we all of a sudden have to make have to pretend that the only time it's okay to cry on a baseball field is if you think you've been traded. Right. <laughs> I have no problem with Flores crying then either. People cry. It's not a big deal. I don't understand why this is such a huge deal. And, you know... I, I tend to be really fair when it comes to the Yankees. I'm not a Yankee hater. I don't want all Yankee fans to go to hell or whatever you hear Mets fans saying, you know. I think that's all very silly. But this is the kind of shit that makes people not like the Yankees. Oh, yeah. Uh, enjoy that your team won a division with no stress. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> got away with having a rotation that is... Somewhere between below average and awful. <laughs> and and you're in this spot. Just the I guess the funniest thing is that some of the stuff that I saw was uh trying to say, Oh, Judge was uh it was always about the team, it was never about himself and blah blah blah. And like if you actually paid attention to Alonzo, you know that he also responded that way all season long. Uh, until they were eliminated, then he acknowledged a little bit more of yeah. you know the the personal feat. But uh, if your argument is the fan of Judge and of the Yankees is that he was classy about it and made it about the team, then why the hell aren't you right now making it about the team? If it's if it's oh the individual thing didn't matter, then why are you offended and bringing up Judge? <laughs> Yep. That doesn't make any sense. So if it didn't matter and you're you are focused on the team, enjoy the fact that you're in in the playoffs and you're not in the wildcard game. You're in you're in the LDS, which is a nice place to uh to start. Absolutely. So yeah. Not only that, why does it matter? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just just basic, why does it matter? Why do you care? What Pete Alonso does or doesn't do if you're not a Mets fan. Or if you are a Mets fan, why do you care what Pete Alonso does or doesn't do? If it doesn't affect you, it did not affect his game at all. You know, um, him being emotional had absolutely no bearing on the way he played the rest of that game. So why do you care? I just yeah. don't get I just don't get it. It drives me crazy. Ugh. Anyway. The other really cool thing that happened this weekend was the way that the final game of the season ended. So the Mets, you know, had... Did you see what Ted Berg tweeted about two months ago about the last game of the season? Oh, I saw you reference it, but I didn't... I may have seen it, but refresh Ted my Berg memory. tweeted, a friend of the show, Ted Berg, had tweeted that he hopes that a Danny Echeverria hits a home run to knock the Mets out of the Game 7 of the NLCS because of how they did him dirty with, with his contract. <laughs> and so Danny Hedgeveria hits a tie. It's a game-tying a game home run, 
And I tweeted Ted, you know, I blame Ted Berg. And he, he basically said fair, you know, that he deserved that. And then, of yeah. course, you know, the Mets came back and whatever. And then he had a second home run. And then <laughs> who hit the third home run? There was somebody who hit. It was two in that inning. And I can't uh, remember who it was. Oh, I forgot already, too. Regardless of who it was, the Mets went from being tied, looking like they could maybe pull this out, to being down uh, two runs. And it was down to a bullpen running on fumes. And, uh, you know, the Mets, it's the bottom of the 11th inning. It's two outs. Dom Smith making his first plate appearance is coming off the DL. And he just rockets a ball over the right field wall for a walk-off three-run home run. It was it was something that was so it was such an if you if you asked before the season who's the player who's going to hit the walk-off home run to end the season i don't think dom smith would have been on anybody's list yeah right? <laughs> i would agree yeah <laughs> uh then add into the fact this is his first at bat at bat back from the injured list throw in the fact that the mets you know just typically Although this year they were, as Gary Cohen would call them, the never-say-die Mets, I think that for the most part, you know, the bullpen was just so bad that when games like when things like this were happening in games, even when they were doing their best to fight to come back, it just seemed like this is a game they were going to lose for a lot of different reasons. And for for Smith to come through with this, it was this beautiful, fun way to end the season it gave Mets fans a reason to smile on the way out of the ballpark. It was a good story for Dom, who I think has really changed in the eyes of Mets fans over the last year. I, I, I think that in prior years, people were either holding him to a standard that wasn't fair or were influenced by him being thrown into the bus by, by Mickey Calloway and or the Wilpons and or management of whatever kind, you know, um, and so because of all of that, he was not as beloved as maybe, you know, a, a player in a similar situation would have been. But this past year, he became a fan favorite, and he just came through in this amazing end-of-the-season moment. And if that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and it was... One of the things with the way that that game ended and thus the season ended, uh, people trying to get all technical uh, or, or uh, shaming is probably not the right word, but, oh, they, they still failed. They didn't make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. Like, ah, oh, shut up. Like, nobody wants to hear that right now. Yeah. They they ended the season on a happy note. I think we all knew, and, and I know we said it on this uh, on this show, but – I think everybody knew in general, uh, even in July and August when things were going so incredibly well, that it was a long shot. Even when they got within a half a game or a game of that second wild card, you knew that it, it took a ton of work to get there. And the expectation was maybe they will, but nobody thought it was a lock. They didn't, they didn't fade so much as they played pretty good baseball in September and the Brewers just went on a tear like the Mets had gone on. 
it's okay to enjoy that and, and get to the end of the season and be happy uh, about it, especially when it ends with, with Dom Smith doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I again, just a magical moment and good for Dom. And while I don't think there's a role for him on this team next year, you know, it would be nice to see Dom Smith as a Met again. I don't know how that really happens unless he embraces a, a bench position. And I really don't see how a guy at his age who probably can get a starting job someplace else would want to do that. Yeah. And if the Mets but, think there's any value in him, they're probably going to flip him. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I would think so. It was uh, It was somewhat <laughs> it got under my skin a little bit like two minutes after the game ended people started talking about like all right who do they have to trade who are they going to trade like hey we we got time <laughs> you know we got time to to get there but uh looking at it at this early stage i would say dom is probably the most likely because i know jd davis isn't good at defense but he's he's a good enough hitter and uh I mean, Smith is too, but Davis, you can throw him at third or, or left first field. If, if Alonzo needs a break. Yeah. Right, or left field. There's a little more versatility there, even if he's not great at it. Where with Dom, it's kind of like, assuming Alonzo is playing every day and, uh, and healthy, where's he going to go? It's going to be part-time left field play and that's it you know you can't stick him at third not only that but when you talk about you know part-time left field play just you know just thinking out loud here if the Mets have Jed Lowry still on the team next year it seems like you might be in a position yet again where you have uh, Jeff McNeil playing the majority of left field and no offense to Dom Smith you're not going to get Jeff McNeil out of a game to get Dom Smith at bats Right. So, you know, I and then you have J.D. Davis probably playing a little bit of left field, too. I just think that no matter how you slice it, Dom's the odd man out. Unless somebody blows them away with a J.D. Davis offer. But I can't imagine what our own Linda Surovich would do if that happened. So <laughs> I'm going to choose not to think about it for Linda's sake. Yeah. And the combination of things that would have to happen to, to be comfortable with that I mean, I guess if you get blown away, then okay. But the combination of things, otherwise, you'd have to really see that Cespedes is healthy and looks like he's going to be able to play a significant amount of time and play the outfield uh, combined with Lowry being healthy and nobody else having sort of like a freak injury, even if it's a minor one in spring training. So it, it would take a lot to be comfortable with, with that. Um, and I think the thing, you know, either the day the season ended or the day after that got to me the most was anyone who was, uh, Oh, Nimmo or Conforto trade them. Like, uh, slow down a little. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> right. I don't necessarily think it's impossible that, uh, JD Davis, and Dom Smith could be better hitters than one or both of them. Uh, but if I had to bet, and, and that's only hitting, it doesn't 
incorporate defense or, or anything else. Um, if I had to bet, I would say that Conforto will be the best of those four and Nimmo would be the second best. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But, but yeah, you can't you can't get too ahead of yourself there. Let the winter play out. Uh, see where everything stands at the beginning of spring training. And sure, if there's something there for one of the two guys who broke out just this year, then they are somewhat redundant. That That's understandable. But I don't know. It's not like the bench was so great this year. You, you could just go, hmm, we're going to keep them all. Even if you get a real center fielder, uh, we're going to keep them all. And then we've just got a bunch of guys who can hit. And yeah, I mean, I mentioned before that you know that you you think Dom could start elsewhere, but the Mets would be probably. I I don't know if there's that many guys on the on the free agent market for a bench player who would be a better hitter than Dom Smith. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I. Maybe, but <laughs> the way he looked this year. It's hard to say. It's kind of funny, and obviously the opinions of Alonzo were higher coming up, but it's kind of funny, and it doesn't mean that those reports were wrong at the time that they happened. In Smith's case, maybe a little bit more because he handled Major League Pitching so well. Uh, But the questions about Smith's bat and conditioning and then Alonzo's defense... Like, man, those two couldn't have really made those reports look worse this year. Well, I, I just saw the other day, I forget where it was. Maybe it was The Ringer. There was some some website that I read occasionally, uh, but not regularly, that does some sports coverage. And they were talking about the the baseball awards for the year, who should be Rookie of the Year, who should be Cy Young, etc. And in their Pete Alonso write-up, they talked about how he's a defensive liability. And I just thought, oh, this is a guy who doesn't watch Mets games right in this. Because yeah, or it's just you know he look he he's probably not um, Keith Hernandez out there, but he's not he's not a liability. He's probably the best no. Mets defensive first baseman in the last four or five years, right? Yeah. Oh, far from a liability. I think he was at least average if not a little bit better than that um and the i think the only thing that was frustrating with his defense was sort of a a thing that he could continue to learn and get better at at the major league level it was being a little too aggressive when balls hit to his right and you appreciate that and you get it from a, a young guy who's who's new at the major league level um but that is something that i feel like you can teach and work on and and continue to get comfortable with another year of Cano or McNeil playing next to you uh, at that position and going, uh, getting those reads off the bat and saying, hey, he's got it. I'm going to go cover first. Uh, for that to be the most frustrating defensive thing uh, is not an issue to me. He was much more sure-handed, uh, I think, than anybody expected he he was really good at picking the ball out of the dirt. Um, he's big, so he's a nice, large target. And uh, his footwork when he was stretching 
I think was for <laughs> I'm going back to a green man thing here. Um, for all the defensive praise that James Loney got, <laughs> the dude couldn't stretch uh, at first. He just wasn't good at it. At least when he was a Met, I don't know if that looked different earlier in his career, but like Pete Alonso's stretch and footwork, uh, and, and the most important thing I think a first baseman can do is field throws from his other infielders and make sure they're turned into outs. Yeah. Uh, he was really good at all of that. And that, that, that's a lot. <laughs> it, it is. It, he made some uh, highlight reel kind of plays, which, sure, you play every day at a position. I'm not saying anybody can do it, but a lot of major league players will do that over the course of a year. Uh, but it's not the flashy stuff that makes the guy stand out or, or really tells you what he is as a defender. So, yeah, I was very happy to see that. And uh, he certainly talked about it and he talked about working hard at it. And, and I, I think in his case with that stuff, obviously the thing that you read uh, was just being – lazy and going back to a defensive reputation that he had before he played in a major league game. Uh, but those reports from the past weren't necessarily wrong. You know, nobody was out to get him. He, he got better. Yeah. Uh, it's just fun to see a guy improve and when he's on your team and prove that doubt wrong. Uh, all right. So here's exactly what it said. Okay. Um, Alonzo's gaudy, gaudy home run total, his 53 dingers are a new MLB rookie record and by far the most by a Met in a single season, somewhat obscures the holes in Big Pete's game. He doesn't add anything with the glove, doesn't hit for average, and strikes out a ton. So they didn't call him a liability, but they said he doesn't add anything with the glove, which is essentially saying the same thing. Yeah, and... And that's just not right. I, yeah, no, no, that, that's definitely not true. You're not going to rack up any uh any war with solid first base defense and that's fine but it was there yeah uh it's very frustrating to see people be so uh you know i, I do not i purposely do not write much about non-met players i don't watch enough non-met games to speak cogently Fuck, I don't speak cogently on the Mets a lot of times. But, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a guy making presumptions about seeing a couple of at-bats from somebody. And uh, when folks do that on a national level, it really does bug me. Yeah. Yeah, I know there was a several years ago when Hunter Pence was a free agent. And obviously we had seen a good amount of him when he was a Philly. Uh, but just writing a roundup of, guys who were out there and with Hunter Pence, I was like, ah, he's Hunter Pence. No. Part of that was tongue in cheek because he had been a rival of the Mets. Yep. But part of it was also kind of dismissing the guy and he, without having seen him play all that much, uh, underrating him. So it's an understandable thing for that to, to happen. But when you're writing on a national level like that, you would like to think, I don't know, maybe you at least read a few things. About the guy that other people wrote. I mean, nobody can watch every team for 162 games. I get that. Right, but 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 we do stuff all the time like this. Like when 
when the Mets traded for Stroman, we reached out to somebody from the SB Nation uh, Blue Jays site. Like, we do this all the time when we don't have the proper information. We do our best to find somebody who does have the proper information and talk to them and see if they, if we can get some wisdom from them. I don't see why somebody at the national level doesn't do that, but I'm going to get off this soapbox now, I promise. <laughs> Before we get to the playoffs, one more thing we do have to talk about. Uh, according to the August source that is Andy Martino, the Mets are supposed to be making a decision about Mickey Calloway's fate yesterday or today when you're listening to this. Um, I think we both believe that Mickey should be fired. But do we think that Mickey will be fired? Uh, like in the next couple of days or at all? In the next couple of days, like we be before the season starts, will will there be a different manager for the Mets when the season starts? I'm gonna guess yes, but I'm not I'm not strongly confident in that. I'll say like sixty forty, yes. Yeah, I, I think I feel the same the same approximate percentage wise. Why do you think there's a good chance that he's not fired? Uh... I mean, I guess the easy answer is they're the Mets, but <laughs> they're the Mets, they're the Will Ponds, etc. Yeah, I think the Tim Healy incident. I think it was pretty clear they wanted Vargas gone, uh, whether it was a combination of his performance and that, or however they got to that point, they were comfortable getting rid of him. Uh, but I think. From their perspective, even though we will still bring it up, and, and we're not alone in that, I don't think that's weighing too heavily on them. If it did, I think they would have fired him at the time. Uh, so yeah, and I, not not that that's the biggest thing or or the most important thing necessarily in making this decision, but he, uh, part of it. yeah, oh yeah, I don't know, it is, but. I could see that 40% side. I could see enough people who make decisions with the Mets uh, buying into, because we know they've done it before with players, uh, buying into the second half and saying, hey, look, uh, he he had this roster, and I know they think highly of the roster, but he had this roster, and we made a pitching coach change, and then all of a sudden the rotation had the best ERA in baseball for the second half, uh, and that's fine. He he did a he did a fine job. I could see them saying, like, "Oh, we got rid of Dave Island, and Phil Regan really got everybody on track." And under those circumstances, Mickey Callaway is fine. But it is always dangerous to buy into a half season of anything from anybody who's involved with what goes on on the field in the major leagues. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what I'll say is this. I, I think that the there's probably a 40% chance or greater, as we've said, you know, chance that the Mets will hire, will keep Callaway for the next year. But here's where I would very much caution them against that. If the Mets get off to a bad start next year, and they choose to fire him then, there will be very few desirable options to take over the team. 
it will pretty much be Jim Riggleman or whoever the bench coach is for next season. Maybe you'll get a minor league coach coming up there. Maybe. But your options are severely, severely limited by that decision. And I just think that the Mets have to be smart about this. And if they want to, if they think the Callaway is not the guy who's going to take them to the playoffs, then do that. Then get rid of him now. Because if you get rid of him now, you will be able to, you'll be able to have your, your, your pick of the litter hypothetically for another manager, even though I'm sure a lot of managers don't want to come and work for the Woolpons. And I, I get that. I totally get that. But you're going to have much more of a selection if you do that now versus if you wait for the beginning of the season. And based on how poorly he did with in-game strategizing, based on how poorly he did with the Vargas situation, to keep bringing, bringing that up, I know, but you know, it just seems to me like even if you think Callaway is fine for right now, unless you believe he's fine for the future, now is the time to get rid of him. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, uh, (laughs) it would be a good problem to have, I guess, to say, all right, the Mets improve upon what they did. They, They play like the second half of this year for all of next season, and now they're stuck with them. But you'd rather have somebody who you're really confident in. And I know I said this a little bit last week, too, but if we had seen him improve on specific aspects of managing in-game. And and really, at this point, with the way that organizations run, we know that that's the manager's most independent function. Sure. If we had seen improvement there, I could buy into that long-term confidence maybe a little bit more, but I'm just not there. And it really does seem to be a consensus uh, or, or as close to that as you can get among a fan base. You know, it, it's the uh, fan pulse polls that we've been, uh, that have been going on across SB Nation all, all summer, uh, all season, I should say, spring, summer, and, and now fall. Uh, Mickey Calloway's approval rating in, in the Mets specific one on Amazing Avenue uh, ended the season at 11%, and that was up. There were a lot of weeks, a lot of weeks in the middle of all that, that it was between three and seven. Uh, that's a fan base that doesn't want that manager back. And obviously, uh, I think these polls are, are useful and fun. They're not scientific polls like Quinnipiac would do. And Amazing Avenue readers may not necessarily represent all of Mets fandom, but I've seen a lot of shared sentiment from people who I don't think of as like Amazing Avenue readers or, or writers. Uh, so yeah, I, I doubt that if you took a poll of 5,000 Mets fans in a scientific way, I doubt that his approval rating as manager would be a whole lot higher than it was in what we had going on. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. It it just seems to me like you now is the time. You got to do it. If you don't do it now, you're going to be kicking yourself next season when he's even shittier somehow because he's one of the few managers 
that with in-game stuff got considerably worse in his second season. I don't know how that even happens. <laughs> but it does. It does when you're Mickey Calloway, I guess. All right. Well, you know, let's let's end this by talking about the playoffs. The playoffs are in full swing. We have uh, the the wild card second wild card game tonight. Tomorrow starts the National League uh, Division Series. Who are you pulling for in each in each league? Let's start there. Who do, you know? What, what's your ideal World Series matchup at this point? Well, the Brewers failed me and yep. all of us really yes. already. Truly, all of us. Uh, <laughs> so, on the National League side, at this point, my least hated to most would be Dodgers, Cardinals, Nationals, Braves. Uh, the Nationals are annoying. The Braves have a. I have a deep hatred of the Braves that has existed for my entire baseball life. Uh, so I guess my ideal is that the Dodgers, if you told me the Cardinals would lose, I'd be a little more willing to say that, but <laughs> yeah. Chase Utley's gone. So Dodgers on the national league side. Uh, and then I guess I, I, I kind of have to say twins on the American league side to, uh, you know, to have someone who's close to me, who's a big twins fan, factors into that uh so dodgers twins with the twins winning would be ideal uh but if i'm ranking uh top to bottom on on the al side i guess i would go twins uh the winner of the a's rays which right now it looks like it'll be the rays but it's not over yet right but those two are kind of equal to me uh twins those two Astros and certainly in last place, uh, the Yankees. Yeah, my rankings are are pretty similar. I, to me, it's a coin flip between the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Both franchises and fan bases annoy me for different reasons. So it's it's sort of I just gonna choose which one is bugging me more in that moment. You know, I uh, for some reason, even when he was a Met, I never liked Justin Turner, and so that that is the main reason I root against the Dodgers still is because of Justin Turner. But, you know, it's been a long time since the Dodgers have won a World Series, and I want more team. I want the World Series to not be the same teams over and over again unless that team is the Mets. So it's, you know, it's fine to see the Dodgers win the World Series. I'd be okay with that. But I would, I would much rather see the Twins or the Rays than anybody in the National League win. Um Again, just because it's been a long time for the Twins and the Rays, I really don't care about the Yankees. Um, I think this is one of the more likable Yankee teams in my lifetime. That doesn't mean yeah. that they're likable. It just means that they're, of the Yankee teams I remember, they're one of the more likable teams. And I think it's... I, I think about that point a little bit, um, where I wonder, is it... Is it different because, like, we're a little more mature, and Judge and Glaber Torres and even Didi Gregorius, who had been in the majors for a while but has thrived generally uh, with these Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton, are these guys less annoying because, because we're, older. <laughs> we're older, or is it just that 
those late 90 Yankees really were uh, that annoying. And I, I'm not saying it's one or the other. It, it's entirely possible that it was just that those that version of the Yankees truly was annoying. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I wonder about it because it it could be it could be both. Somebody who is now, I mean, I was 16 when the Mets lost to the Yankees in the World Series. So somebody right now who's somewhere between 13 and 16, let's say, and is a diehard Mets fan and has to deal with Yankee fans at school and all that, uh, is this team any different to that person than those Yankees were to us? I, right. I don't know. Right. And, you know, it's it's one of those – one of my – one of my baseball opinions that non-Mets fans always think – is insane and I'm fine with them thinking it because I think if, if it was another team, I'd probably maybe feel that I was crazy also, but I never liked Derek Jeter. I never thought Derek Jeter was this great bastion of baseball hope. Um, I always found him smug. I always found him, uh, you know, one of the most boring interview answers you could ever get from a clubhouse interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I, I never cared for him. And so, People would always say to me, like, well, you don't like the Yankees, but you got to love Derek Jeter, right? I just say, like, no, I don't love Derek Jeter. And for some reason, as he got older, I liked him less and less, which, again, goes against what normally happens. You know, you get older, you mellow, and it's not really, you know, it's not a big deal anymore. You're not, you don't have to dislike the other players anymore. Uh, but for whatever reason, Derek Jeter just always bugged me. So that that led to a lot of my Yankee dislike as well. Yeah, uh, that's understandable. He, it, it wasn't just him; it was the way he got talked about. And I, you know, to to that point of oh, you got to like him. I would counter that with, I don't know, Mariano, Bernie Williams. Uh, not that they were necessarily the most exciting interviews or. Or anything like that, but they just seemed like they were really good at what they did. And Mariano, I think, was properly appreciated, and, and I think Bernie was among Yankee fans at the time. Yes, uh, um, I, I think his stature in those teams probably diminished slightly over time, but those were kind of the guys who I would I would point to as more of the obvious because. At the very least, I would say when they were playing, they're always properly rated. Yes. Uh, and Derek Jeter had a very nice career, and hey, good for him. But I always felt he was very joyless. Yeah. And uh, again, that's probably just from you know a Met fan's perspective. But oh, I did see something today. Oh, what was it? <sighs> They, they did nameplates uh, at their lockers at Yankee Stadium. Uh-huh. Oh, let's just Google that. Aaron Boone inspired nameplates. They said some October Savages is a slogan that's on the nameplates at the players' lockers. Okay. And I'm just like, all right, that's the Yankees' way of being like, we're edgy. We're yeah. <laughs> like, we have a personality. Like, come on. Yeah. 
get out of here. And and also, there's nothing wrong with having a personality. Going back to where we started this episode, just have one. Uh, like October Savages, they're the Yankees, so they're kind of immune to a lot. But if the Mets got into the, if they won the division, and they did that exact slogan, and they lost that series, you wouldn't hear the end of that quote for like twenty years. Yep. There, there would be a million people with the, using that as a hashtag every time the Mets lost a game, at least for the next two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, you never know with the Yankees if they do lose in this series. Uh, if any of the tabloids are feeling particularly sassy, I could see, like, October savaged. Yeah. Yankees lose to Twins, whatever. But... but with the Mets, it would become a thing for a long time. Yeah. Well, here's the hoping for a uh, a a Twins World Series championship or a Rays World Series championship. And that's, yeah, and that's the best we can hope for right now. Yeah, I think the win probability is still increasing for the Rays as we finish recording this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't have any hatred of the Astros. Uh, every team's got its flaws or its flawed players. Um, but I don't know. They won one. Sure. Pretty recently. That's yeah. enough. It's enough for now. It's not like, yeah. it's not like the Cubs. The Cubs, the Cubs was like, that's enough. Go another 100 <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. We really have had enough of you. The Astros winning wouldn't annoy me, but just like, hey, somebody else should get a turn. I have seen a couple of people, including our friends over at A Pot of Their Own, say that the Astros are a bad team for the Mets. The Astros winning is bad for the Mets because it encourages teams to tank, like the, mm. like, like the Astros did for so long. And I understand right. that, but I think the Astros also, they were the first team to really employ that strategy. I don't think they would employ that strategy again today. Yeah, I, I they and they consciously employed it. I guess the Nationals at a certain point may have looked ahead and said, "Harper, Strasburg, we don't have to win." But <laughs> but I, I don't know. I I think they had already gotten bad unintentionally. Yeah, and then sort of just so happened to get to their worst point uh, when when those guys were available um, in the draft. So, yeah, I, I hear that. But I also think where the Mets are right now, one, they never want to acknowledge that they might need to do something like that in theory. Uh, and two, all of a sudden they have two of the top ten hitters in baseball making league minimum salary yeah. plus – Plus, you know, the tiny raise you give a guy uh, in his first three years. So league salary plus 5% or whatever, you know. Uh, they have that. And they still have the pitcher who should be a back-to-back Cy Young winner. They, they, they have all that. So I'm not fearful that they will blow it all up anytime soon. No, but no. But just the idea but that, like, I get, I, 
or also even like a team like the Rays or the Athletics or even the Twins to a certain degree sort of encourage not spending. Like, look, the Rays can yeah. do it without spending. We don't have to spend either. You know, if you're a Mets fan, you kind of want the Dodgers and Yankees in the World Series because the Will Ponds, you can point to that and say, look, they spent money and that's where they are. But yeah. Yeah, actually, that might be a good that might be a better motive than any of my petty <laughs> petty grievances with any of these teams. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, do you have a music pick for this week? Oh, man. Oh, crap. Hold on. I, I uh, do. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for What did I do last week? Do you remember? Uh, I can look it up with relative ease here. Let's see. <laughs> do, 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 do. This is great radio. Do, 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 do. Oh, and I just banged the microphone. <laughs> Even more great radio. Uh, okay, let's see. Last... Oh, it was the click. It was Claypool Lennon, the, the cover yes. EP. Yes, it was. Okay. Okay. So, do, so, do you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. And then I'll, yeah, go ahead. Sure, okay. So, um, I, I had a pick all lined up for this week. I was going to pick uh, Chocolate and Cheese by Ween because Chris is going to be seeing them at Desert Days in a few, I guess like about a week from now. And I thought I'd just, I'd, I'd rep one of my favorite bands. But... Today, we got some very, very sad news that Kim Shattuck of the Muffs passed away. Uh, Muffs were a, a 90s sort of punk band uh, fronted by, by Kim Shattuck, who's an amazing singer and songwriter. And she had been suffering from ALS for the last two years, but did not make it public until today when she passed away. Um, for those that are, are unfamiliar with the Muffs, uh, I had read something many years ago that said basically the Muffs would have been a successful band in any decade because they just wrote like great three minute pop songs. But when they came up, they kind of came up playing them in like a punk style. But you listen to the muffs and you could hear those being like sixties garage rock hits or early set or like mid seventies punk rock or eighties college radio or nineties alternative. Like they just, the songs are so, so, so good. I had first really discovered the muffs uh, pitchfork used to do this great feature. I don't think they do it anymore. Maybe in 04 or 05, it was called, it was their like new to us list for the end of the year. And it was all records that the the staff had never heard before that year. They weren't new albums, they were just albums that they had never heard. And they put the Muffs record, Happy Birthday to Me, on there. And I picked up the record based on that recommendation. And it is so, so good. It's one of my, one of my go-to like, mow the lawn do the dishes it's just like it's just really super upbeat great poppy punk stuff um but inspired by shaddock's death today i i I spun for the first time their sort of comeback record from 2014 called whoop-de-doo and it's really really good too it's a little bit more um like 60s influence there's a lot more like sort of beatles-esque harmonies and things on there which is, is never a problem for me. I, I really love that stuff. And the songs are just, again, just, just so, so good. Just these brilliant little three-minute pop songs. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Kim once. Um, she had done a, a tour with the Pixies before they had hired Paz LeChantin as their new bass player. And I spoke to her after the show for just a minute about the Happy Birthday to Me record. And she couldn't have been nicer to me. And... Uh, you know, regardless of, of my personal encounter with her, she's a great musician, gone far too soon, 
I believe she was 52 years old I saw, or 56. Can't recall now. I'll look it up in a second. But just, uh, just you know, just a really, really sad, per a sad loss. Somebody gone absolutely too soon. And uh, if you haven't checked out the muffs, either happy birthday to me or whoop de doo would be my my suggestion. So, rest in power, Kim Shattuck. All right. Uh, on that note, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I sort of I sort of torpedoed you there. I guess. No, no, no. That that, that is fine. Uh, yeah, super sad story. Admittedly, I am not too familiar with her work. There's a chance I may have seen the Pixies when she was in them. Uh, or, you know, when she was touring. It, it was uh, just one short tour, so I'm not sure. They did uh, one New okay. York show, I think. Webster uh, okay, Hall, okay. maybe? Bowery Ballroom, somewhere like that. Gotcha. Okay, so maybe not. Uh, but, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a week from now, I might have a list that will last me through the off season. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, um. I hope that would be nice. Uh, but <clears throat> last week was related to because Claypool Lennon had covered uh, King Crimson on that covers EP. So I'm going to go with a, a live record that admittedly I haven't listened to all of myself because there's three discs and it's three hours and 40 minutes worth. Right. Um, but King Crimson uh, is a band that I can't, claim to be the biggest expert on but have seen twice live and then in particular that show we saw recently was just really phenomenal and for robert fripp and uh uh tony levin they're both one i forget which is which but one is 70 173 and like damn and they're not the whole band but they're a huge part of it but <laughs> They just—they're uh, also both they, incredible musicians who are really pushing their skills every time they play. Yeah, so they and they're—they're they're still really, really great. Um, so based on that, and then based on the set list and listening to some of the record I'm recommending, uh, Meltdown Live in Mexico, 2017 was when it was recorded. 2018 was when it came out. Um, so it's, you know, by no means an, an old release, but, uh, yeah, they haven't done a studio record in a while, but they've kept putting out live ones. And based on the similarity between this and what I saw and heard, uh, I'll recommend that. Well, there we go. Um, are you, um... Is there anybody at Desert Days you're particularly looking forward to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many answers do we want? Give us three. Give us three bands you're really looking forward to. Okay. Uh, so I won't, I won't delve into my whole list. I've there. There's a spreadsheet where I have categories and <laughs> bands are ranked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, would you expect any less from uh, an Amazing course. Avenue person? <laughs> <Of course> not. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll just get like the, the big obvious ones. No, I'll, I'll mix it up a little. Okay. Parquet courts has been fantastic the last two times we saw them live. Uh, so seeing them in that setting should be really cool. Uh, the flaming lips we saw for the first time earlier this year and 
that's an experience as much as, as it is music. And I'm not putting down the music. It's just there's a whole lot going on. Um, so I'll say those two. And then uh, I'm going to make it four because I can't decide. Uh, sure. Wand, Wand, we saw like half of their set because they overlapped with one of Wilco's side projects at, uh, at Solid Sound this year. And what we saw was so good. So uh, their full set. Uh, and one of their albums was a recommendation earlier this year. And then I have never seen Lightning Bolt, but I expect it'll be pure insanity. <laughs> uh, Sounds about right. And I, I love that. That's on the last night of, of Desert Days. So uh, there's plenty of good stuff across all three, but those four bands stand out. Uh, to me right now on the spot. So, Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So enjoy your trip. Enjoy the festival. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. We won't be gone for too long. We're actually, this is actually probably a good time to say we're going to be doing uh, the podcast is going to be probably coming out every other week for the off season. Uh, we're going to have sort of our shows split up the two weeks and uh, she'll still be getting all the shows every two weeks probably, but just to, to stave off boredom and, you know, there's only so many ways we can talk about certain things. So we'll be doing that. Uh, but don't worry, you won't be without us for too long. Um, until then, you can go to AmazingAvenue.com. We have all sorts of stuff going up uh, all the time. We have our season review series going up right now. We will have free agent profiles coming up soon. We're still doing game threads for all the postseason games. So stop buying comments in there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show from OG's Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to find this show. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it. We'd appreciate it. Uh, next time, we're going to do some emails. So email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. And uh, we're going to be probably not here next week, but I don't know for sure. Um, but regardless, until next time, let's go, Mets. <laughs>